Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. We welcome you to this episode as we continue our survey of the book of Colossians, part four. Book of Colossians, part four. It's a survey uh, that we've been engaged in for the last few weeks. And as we look at the book of Colossians, We consider the overarching theme, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. The supremacy of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Indeed, Christ is supreme. Uh, He's holy other. He is not uh, like anyone else. He's the only God-man that traversed this earth. Fully God, fully human. When he poured himself into a human body, and we're using that in a metaphorical sense, uh, he did not devoid himself of, the, of his divinity. So he's fully God and fully human at the same time. Uh, and this is what many call in the theological circles the hypostatic union, the relationship between the uh, divineness and the humanness of Jesus Christ. So, as we look at uh, the book of Colossians, we're being challenged in a sense uh, of our perception of who Jesus is versus the biblical perception of who Jesus is. And it would be to our benefit to look at Christ from a biblical paradigm versus a solely traditional paradigm or solely based on what others have told us. And as Christians, we, we are commanded, we are charged, we are challenged uh, to test the Spirit by the Spirit, which means we ought not to just accept anything at face value. We ought to be like the church in Berea of the first century who uh, diligently searched the Scriptures that even when Paul came on the scene, Uh, They were commended for their astuteness of studying the scripture and making sure that what Paul was saying was accurate. So as a result, their legacy continues even today where we talk about their desire to please God by sticking to the authentic word of scripture. On our previous episode, we talked about uh, Paul's and Timothy's desire for the church and Colossae, uh, that they will be fruitful in every good work, that they would increase in their knowledge about God, and thirdly, that they will be strengthened with all might. And what a beautiful thing to have others praying on our behalf towards good work, praying that we would uh, follow the statues that God has uh, given us. What a beautiful thing when we all engage in intercessory prayer. But then, as he commends them 
uh, for their fruitfulness or uh, as they pray for their fruitfulness in every good work, as well as to increase the knowledge about God, which we all should be engaged in, to increase in our knowledge about God. And how does that occur? That occurs through um, Bible study. That occurs through attending worship service and hearing authentic sermons, uh, not false sermons. Um, we, we, we can't ever get close to God by listening to heretical sermons. But uh, when we are exposed to healthy sermons, you know, that Greek word who gaze, meaning healthy, when we engaged in healthy sermons, that helps to fortify our body, meaning the Christian body. That helps to fortify us individually, and it helps to build us up uh, in a sense that we're growing up to the head. We're growing up to be like Jesus Christ. So uh, healthy doctrines and the practice of healthy doctrines draw us closer to God. And the more we draw close to God, the more we become um, or we go through a phase of sanctification where we become more like Jesus Christ. So as we look at uh, this first chapter, uh, we find that uh, Paul and Timothy's objective or goal was also to talk about the worship, worship of, uh, uh, of, of the church in Colossae. Uh, this church was indeed indebted to God, and, and they learned to praise him for all that God had done for them, just like us. We ought to praise God through worship for all that he has done. He's made us partakers of the inheritance of the, of the saints in verse 12. Uh, the Greek word for light in this verse is photi. The word light in this context is similar to our modern translation. Light is that which contrasts the darkness. So in other words, Paul was telling the church of Colossae that they are to live in the light of Christ, which effectually contrasts the lifestyle of those that live in darkness. He also reminds them that we were all delivered from the power of darkness. It's amazing how many Christians forget where they came from. We are quick to jump on individuals that we, we um, assume are not on our level. How many times have we welcomed someone inside the church sanctuary only to make them feel bad because we want to talk about their dress code? We, wanna, uh, we, we want to segregate them from the other people, uh, and, and, and we made, make them feel unwanted even though we may not articulate it, but the way some members treat newcomers, um, they offend them, uh, not, not in a good way, in a bad way. They, they ostracize them. They make them feel like they're less than them. But if we would just remember where we came from, if we could just remember how filthy we were, how dirty we were, how untrustworthy we were, how judgmental we were, but God stooped down through Jesus Christ and brought us up to where we need to be, and he's still bringing us up. We have not arrived. We are still pursuing holiness and righteousness. We still have shortcomings, but God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has covered our shortcomings. So Paul was encouraging the church of Colossae 
to behave in a way that was graceful, in a, in a way that was spiritual, uh, in, a, in a way that uh, uplifted or portrayed what it means to walk in the light versus darkness. Darkness is often manifested in various ways. And as, uh, as we talk about it, I wanted to just share a few things uh, that exemplifies darkness, just so we can be warned and so uh, we can be on the right track. Because sometimes we find ourselves doing things that we think are right, but it's often not right. And so if we know what these things look like, then we can say, aha, that's me, or um, Lord, thank you for helping me to not have this burden, but I still have some burdens to work on. So when we talk about darkness, darkness portrays itself in things like the occult, right? Things like the occult, uh, practicing um, the darkness uh, that's portrayed in Halloween. Um, That's occultic. Uh, Engaging in or playing around with Ouija boards, that's occultic. Uh, yeah. Going to a fortune teller, a palm reader, um, that's occultic. And so uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, for many of you that recalls that that chapter uh, condemns occultic practices. And that wasn't just for the Old Testament Jews. Uh, those verses are prescriptive in the same way that Paul talks about in the New Testament. He's using the principles of the Old Testament, and because they are prescriptive, they carry across to the New Testament, which means uh, God has not uh, told us that it's okay to engage in occultic practices. Then darkness portrays itself in cults, cults, um, groups and organizations that are often led by an individual or a cluster of leaders uh, who lead these individuals into falsehood. Uh, groups, when we talk about cults, we talk about groups such as uh, Jehovah Witnesses or uh, Mormonism or um, other groups like Jim Jones, um, David Koresh, cults. Uh, they, 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 they keep their groups insulated and they feed them what they want fed. Then atheism is a form of darkness. Uh, the devil has a way of convincing people that God does not exist. And if we believe God does not exist, then of course we can't have any relationship with someone uh, who doesn't exist. So the devil then succeeds in his strategy. But we know that God exists. We know the reality of God. God has uh, had his hands on us. God has saved us. God has sanctified us. And we ought to tell it. We ought to testify how good God has been in our lives. Uh, God has told us to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. So God has us to testify. He has us to uh, proclaim his holy name that others may become saved. And I realize that there are some through uh, the teaching uh, from university, teaching at school, uh, some even get this teaching at home that 
uh, portrays this idea of an illusory God, meaning that God does not exist, and they know for certain that God does not exist. Uh, but I, the reality is God does exist. God does exist. And we read in the book of Romans that God uh, has already revealed himself through nature. So um, if I had time, I would give arguments for the existence of God, starting with arguments uh, that some call the uh, intelligent design movement, meaning that our world is so precise, our nature is so precise that, uh, for an example, if we were too far away um, uh, from the sun, we would freeze. If we were too close to it, we would burn. Uh, So God has fine-tuned nature just so we can live in it. And it's fine-tuned. It's precise. God made it habitable for us to survive. And that wasn't by chance. That wasn't through a primordial soup, as evolutionists uh, proclaim. But God created us uh, from the dust in his image, and God is responsible for us being here. So atheism is a part of darkness. Then we talk about, um, Paul talks about letting go of astrology. Don't let anybody judge you in any moon day. And, and that's what he's talking about, astrology, living your life according to the uh, solar system, according to uh, the day of the week. Uh, you're an Aries, you're, you're, you're this, uh, you're Gemini, and, and all, this, all this other stuff. Uh, waking up early in the morning to go look at your horoscope. And that's part of darkness. And that takes our attention away from Christ. The only person we need to consult, the only person we need to seek is Jesus Christ. Uh, All this readings and all of this uh, prognostication of days and weeks uh, is not something that Christians ought to be engaged in. It's something uh, that we need to denounce. The only person we need is God. And the only word we need is from God. And God has everything that we need. It doesn't matter uh, if, if you are Aries or you're a Gemini or you're a Pisces, it, it, it doesn't matter uh, necessarily what day of the week you were born on. Long as you accept Jesus Christ, uh, we can't allow these strongholds to take effect. We, 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 we have to leave the old ways behind. God is the only one that we need. Uh, our, our, our chance, our, our destiny is all wrapped up in God. And as Christians, uh, we, we don't operate off a of chance and luck. Our God uh, is, is able to lead us uh, with precision. He, he, he's the uh, chief shepherd. He is the one that leads us. So uh, as God orders our steps, uh, he knows where to take us. He knows how far to go and how long to stay. God through the Holy Spirit, guides us. So we don't operate off a of chance and luck. We as Christians, uh, we, we, we have a destiny inside of Jesus Christ. And if we follow him, he'll take us to where we need to be. Then numerology, uh, numerology, uh, living by numbers, um, living by a, a set of digits. And again, those things can get a hold on you. Oh, it's the, it's the fifth day, so that means this. Oh, it's the 300 days, so that means this. 
and a, a lot of the Asian cultures are engaged in numerology. And again, we're putting our trust in numbers and not the number creator, who is God. And God is the one we ought to be preoccupied with and not be so consumed by a set of numbers. And what happens is when we start following numbers, when we start following chance, those things become our gods. And it influences how we act and behave. And God doesn't want to share his glory with, with, with things that he created that we are misusing. So, in a sense, God is a jealous God in the sense that he wants us uh, to be totally his. He wants us to be in a relationship with him where we're not distracted by things that are superfluous, uh, things that are unnecessary. Uh, God wants us alone. He, he, he wants uh, our attention to be solely on him. Amen. Then things like the new age is another form of darkness. Uh, the, the preaching and, and, and teaching of um, certain um, worldly uh, wisdom uh, combined with a bit of spirituality that could lead you into this new truth and this new experience and, and, and we got to look out for that. Uh, those things are not of the word. So, uh, as, as Paul teaches the church about redemption, let's not forget, we are all forgiven through the blood of Christ. We learn about the ontology of Jesus Christ, especially uh, from verse 14 onward in ch- uh, chapter 1 of the uh, book of Colossians. Paul states that Christ is the image of the invisible God, so in other words, Jesus is a direct representation of God himself. Uh, I realize that groups like the Jehovah Witnesses uh, use Colossians 1.15 to teach a false view of Jesus Christ. In their attempt to diminish the divinity of Christ, uh, they claim that Colossians 1.15 is evidence that Jesus uh, was the firstborn of all creation. And here is the mistake. Colossians 1.15, they claim, Jehovah Witnesses, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The English does not do it justice, but it says firstborn. So if Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, then you can't have two firstborns. And if you go to, uh, believe, Jeremiah 31 and 9, where it talks about uh, Ephraim is the firstborn, so either Ephraim is the firstborn or Jesus is the firstborn in Colossians 1.15, and you can't have two firstborns. So then we need to ask ourselves, if you can't have two firstborns, what do these passages mean? In first, the firstborn in Colossians 1.15 is the Greek word prototokos. That means first in rank. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the first in rank of our creation. He's, he's supreme. Jesus is the general of everything. Since he created everything, he's, as the architect, he is supreme. He's the one in charge. He, 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 he has a, a unique position, not in terms of ontology, not that God the Father created God the Son. That's not biblical. That's nowhere in Scripture unless you put it in there, unless you force, force it in there. What that passage is saying is Jesus is first in rank over all of creation. He's the one that stitched everything together. Everything that we have that's being kept together, Jesus is responsible for it. So he's given us 
a, a, a very unique look at Jesus Christ. He's not just a man. He's not just a sage. He's not just a prophet. He's God the Son, and as God the Son, he is Alpha and Omega. And Jesus himself uh, identified himself as Alpha and Omega. So he is truly, he truly was in the beginning. He truly was in the end. He was not created by anybody. Uh, He owes his existence to no one else. Just as the Father is eternal, just like the Spirit is eternal, so is Jesus Christ. Now, if Paul wanted to say that uh, Jesus was created in Colossians um, 1.15, there was a word he could have used, which is uh, protokistos, but he didn't use that word, protokistos. He used the word prototokos, which means first in rank. So again, we have to be careful who we're listening to. Doesn't matter what their names are, what the positions, what positions they may have, how many degrees they may have in here, uh, uh, earned. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is what are these individuals saying? That's what matters. And then once we're able to ascertain what they're saying, let us compare to the uh, Word of God. Let us see what God's Word is saying, because the Bible reminds us there are smooth-talking individuals. Uh, it, it, um, in our lifetime, there, there, there are those uh, who can preach and teach and sound really good, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful uh, and, and test what they're saying uh, by the word of God. So, the second uh, thing I want to share is um, we need to be ready to give each man an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us. And then we do it with gentleness and respect. We do it with gentleness and respect. So, um, after giving reasons for Christ's preeminence, Paul then turns his attention back to the Colossian church. He reminds them that they were once alienated from God. He then provides specific examples of how they were estranged from God. Paul reminded them that their previous ways of thinking were evil and produced in evil works. However, God through Christ had reconciled them to the Father, verses 21 through 22. Reconciled them to the Father. The chapter concludes with a contingent statement. Christ would only present the church of Colossae as blameless to God, verse 22, if they remained, number one, grounded and settled in their faith. Number two, close to the hope of the gospel. So they were to remain grounded and settled in their faith. And that's what we need to be, grounded and settled in our faith so God can use us to uh, share the gospel and to boast about him, thus drawing other people to himself. Well, our time has come to a close again, but we will uh, go through the survey of the book of Colossians. Uh, If you have any questions, please contact us, info at srministries.org. Um, and continue to keep us in prayer. And for those of you that like to be a monthly supporter or like to donate, please go online, srministries.org, www.srministries.org, or you can uh, make out your check to SRM, Sound Reason Ministries, P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, California, 95758. And we thank God for all of our supporters and all of our listeners all around the world, uh, even in Hawaii and uh, even in England, even in Africa. So we thank you for that. And remember, 
to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. But the difference is we as Christians have a gospel rooted in the truth. May God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.